You may be seated. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in church at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This book begins with a standard greeting from that place and time. Here, Paul identifies himself and also Timothy, giving credit to him as co-writer. They're pending a letter to the faithful Christians in what is now modern-day Turkey. At one time, Colossae had been a prosperous place due to its location on a major trade route from Ephesus and being a center for weaving. But by the time Paul writes this letter, it had become an unimportant city. It was actually barely even a city anymore. Some have said that it is the least important town to ever receive a letter from the Apostle Paul. I want to focus in on the greeting, grace and peace. It's easy to gloss over these words because they are on their way to the heart of the matter. And because Paul often uses them in his letters. But the term grace and peace is not just a perfunctory clause put in with little attention to what is being said. Grace, unmerited favor of God, given to a rebellious humanity before we know that we have need of it. Peace, absence of conflict, here also along with health and prosperity, but so much more as we recognize the divine presence of Christ extended to our hearts, minds, lives, and actions. Together, grace and peace constitute what Dr. Robert Gundry calls all the blessings of redemption. So I want us just to think about that for a minute. Grace and peace, all the blessings of redemption. In Paul's context and in ours, all the blessings of redemption poured out on a world torn apart daily by senseless violence because of prejudice and fear over skin color, because of religious beliefs, political dogma, or nationalistic pride. All the blessings of redemption poured out on a confused humanity who longed for God but have a hard time staying focused on him when our wants stay in the forefront. All the blessings of humanity poured out when we spend so much of our energy focusing on how we are divided instead of taking time to understand where another person comes from. When we want to make everyone wrong except for us. All the blessings of redemption poured out Grace and peace to you, church, from God the Father. So let's pause for a second and contemplate what these words mean for us today. Grace and peace, and in what ways we need them. Grace and peace are gifts offered freely to us. But we have to consciously choose to own them. 
God's unmerited favor to sinful people, God's supernatural presence to a fearful humanity. Martin Luther King reminds us that peace is not just about the absence of tension, but the presence of justice. So this morning, grace and peace be unto you. Amen. Let's stand and sing. You may be seated. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of truth. The gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learn from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This letter was actually written to people Paul had never met. And he is affirming them in the very first line, telling them of his prayer for them. Would it surprise you to get a letter from a renowned leader of the church who you only knew through their work and found out that they had been praying for you? And not only that, but prayers of thankfulness because they were... Honestly, grateful to the Lord for your good work and the things that they had heard about you. They understood what was going on. They were listening. They were paying attention. Paul had never met the people of Colossae because the church was most likely founded by Epaphras, who he mentions here, who came to faith under Paul's evangelistic work. The church multiplies Because of the faithful witness of those who are part of it, those who are willing to speak the truth found in God's plan of redemption, then those who hear it are willing to go and to be faithful and to tell others around them. This servant, Epaphras, has reported to Paul what the church is like. He said they have faith in Jesus Christ. They have love for the saints. They have hope for the life to come. This is a common theme in Paul's writings, words that go together as the gospel of Christ, faith, hope, and love. Paul tells them how thankful he is that they are known by this triad of key virtues. It's interesting as you read it, though, because hope here is the base from which love and faith spring forth. That would make sense as when we put our hope in Christ, our confidence in him, that he then grows us to faith and love. They are, of course, overlapping in ways that aren't linear, but hope here, according to Paul, is the foundation of love and faith. Hope in a life yet to be realized, yet hope in what we have here with Christ at the center. Hope bears fruit. That actually might be the most salient point here. But it's not usually something that we think about or hang our hat on. Paul says that they put their hope in Jesus and that this hope came from the truth of the gospel. 
And this hope has been bearing fruit in them. And he says, not only has it been bearing fruit in you, but be encouraged. Because the same fruit is bearing all over the world. When we truly accept God's grace, it gives us hope. And then we grow in our faith and our love. And altogether, we must be a veritable garden. Eugene Peterson calls it the orchard of God's fruit trees. But I have to confess that as I was writing this and I was thinking about hope this week, there's so much hopelessness right now that I feel like we have to talk about that. What a terrible few weeks we have experienced both as Americans and as people on the planet. The violence that has been perpetrated against one another and in all corners of the planet is sickening. And it grieves the heart of God. Shootings and bombings and wars, hateful words and disdain for common humanity, turning our back on people who have needs, closing our hearts and lives to suffering people, is wrong. And it's incredibly overwhelming for us as we come into the sanctuary this morning, as Paul is teaching us about hope. Because some of these things that we've experienced and read about this week make us feel absolutely powerless. And make us think that maybe true change is never going to occur. And we can't turn our faces away from what is happening and pretend like it's not there. Yet in looking straight at it, we can't lose our hope. In Christ, we cannot give in to hopelessness although it would be easy to do. Instead, we have to find tangible ways to express the confidence we have in Christ and reach out to those who are hurting. Reach out to those whom we meet. We have to begin to understand one another more. We have to begin to listen more. Truly listen. We are the people of God. He gives us hope in Christ, making it possible for us to put our faith in him and growing us in love. This is a hard life. And when we receive affirmation like Paul is giving here, it must be used to spur us on to greater deeds in a world in need of what Christ came to give. Paul also wrote in the context of war and hatred and persecution. He was probably imprisoned when he wrote this. While it is sad that things have not changed much, what also has not changed is the truth and the hope in the gospel of Christ. Matt Thomas, who is our lead bishop in our denomination, sent a letter this week to churches across the nation entitled, A Prayer for Love and Justice and a Plea for Change. We've reprinted it for you, and it's in the foyer. You can also find it online. In it, he laments the continuing degraded degrading of the sanctity of life, as well as what he calls the continued ravages of a twisted depravity that has bent humankind in a selfish self-destruction that defies reason. I want to read the end of his letter because I think it has good meaning for us today. I would like to make a simple appeal to free Methodists who love God, love people, and make it their aim to make disciples. Please, 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 
Direct your energies toward focused prayer, productive speech, just living, and the pursuit of peace. There are plenty of venues and or avenues for all of these. A closet, a blog, a letter to politicians and civic leaders, a church study group, civic volunteer opportunities, a class or study on multiculturalism and multiracial living, as well as the history of religion. Despair, anger, and non-peaceful, peaceful demonstrations do not accomplish much. I truly believe we can make an enormous difference in our world and local communities. If Jesus could change the world by his spirit working through a few people, we can certainly impact our communities using the same and similar methods, little of which are being exercised by many Christians today. If we spend more time in prayer and conducting ourselves as we see the early church in Acts 2, then we do watching a favored news media, we would be able to see measurable change. After all, God does what needs to be done through those who are called by his name. May we continue to hope in the Lord. Please stand with us. Be seated. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Paul turns now from a prayer of thanks for what he has heard about the Colossians to a prayer of what he hopes will continue in them. In our lives, we pray for a great many things for ourselves and for others daily. This prayer of Paul is something for us to emulate when we're praying for our friends, our family, fellow churches, ministries, missionaries we believe in, even our enemies. Paul prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in wisdom and understanding He prays that they would lead lives worthy of the Lord, pleasing him and growing in the knowledge of God. He asks the Lord that they might bear fruit and be strengthened by his power, enduring everything with patience and giving thanks to God. So often our prayers, we focus in on what is temporary. The things that we wish were different, especially with regard to health and provision. Paul's prayer here is very different than that. And it hit me hard this week when I contemplated my own prayers in light of what he is asking God for the believers at Colossae. This might be a good prayer to put where you will see it most every day. So that when you lift up those in need in your life, you might use some of the perspective Paul and Timothy give here. 
as you look at these words, what strikes you the most in terms of what you need today? When you have thought of how people could pray for you, when they ask you, how can you pray for me? How can I pray for you right now in this season of life? Were any of these things on your list? They weren't on mine. See, the temporal comes and goes, and we're always going to need prayer for our relationships and our jobs and our living situations. We're always going to need to ask for help for our needs to be met, for the health of someone we love and the painful situations we encounter. These are not wrong. They're good. God tells us, ask for my help. I will help you. Seek me and you will find me. We have to depend on the Lord. He wants us to do that. But these words of Paul transform prayer from just the temporary needs to who we are becoming in Christ, to the eternal character of our hearts and minds. Who are we in the difficult situations that we face? That's what Paul is addressing here. Paul is addressing who he wants the church to be. Who are we becoming and in what ways are we trusting God's strength? Allowing his endurance to help us overcome. Paul gives us a helpful lesson here in how we should pray for God's spirit to be made manifest in our hearts and in our lives. This isn't over-spiritualizing. This is the reality of life we signed up for when we became Christians. Jesus died so that we might have a well of strength of which to draw. Power that goes far beyond what we could expect or imagine or do on our own so that we might grow in his character when life hits us hard and we might give thanks no matter what because we have a hope that goes beyond this life. I exhort you this week to take the book of Colossians and to read over these words again. And to use them to pray for yourself and for the people in your lives. We're going to pause now and uh, go into prayer. We're going to be doing liturgical prayer. Pastor Doug is here to pray with you at the altar. As we um, pray, just lead out. And we will ask the Lord in his mercy to hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, 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 hear our prayers.
for Helen Rogers, who is yet uh, to meet you, but is very close. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. 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 Father, it is good to be together to raise to you the prayers that are on our hearts and minds. We pray, God, for our nation that is divided in so many ways. We ask, God, for your healing. We ask for strong leadership that trusts you. We ask that you would use your people and your church, God, to help heal wounds. We ask for the needs that are on our hearts, for the anxieties that we have, and for the situations that we are facing or our loved ones are facing that seem to be hopeless. We look to you, God, and ask that you would bring your transforming power and change us, God. Change us to be like you as we trust you in these impossible situations. In Jesus' name, amen. the broken hearted you stand beside the weak you go to those in darkness and so must we your heart is for the outcast for those we call the least you lift a broken spirit and so must we God of hope God of you can take a broken heart and make it sing God of life, new tomorrows You can shine the light that changes everything
you go to those forgotten The faces we don't see You give your life to save them And so must we God of hope God of futures You can take a broken heart and make it sing God of life new tomorrows You can shine the light that changes everything You can shine the light that changes everything God who speaks opens graves with one word our God saves God who speaks opens graves with one saves God of hope God of futures you can take a broken heart and make it sing God of life new tomorrows you can shine the light that changes everything God of hope God of futures you can take a broken heart and make it sing God of life new tomorrows you can shine a light that changes everything You can shine the light that changes everything You can shine the light that changes rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins this last thought continues the idea of how God has enabled us to share in the inheritance of light from verse 12 by saving us from the power of darkness the language is a little curious here It reads like we are part of one kingdom that is dark and lost and far from God. When invited or ready, we can transfer to a different world, a place of light where Christ reigns above all. In this this kingdom, there is redemption 
and forgiveness for all time. We move from one place to the other because they are markedly different in values and goals, dignity and outcome and presence. We don't live in both of them at the same time. The word redemption is key here. We have been saved because we were bought with Christ's life. Redemption means liberation from bondage or imprisonment. The liberation here is tied with forgiveness of sin, which shows us the nature of the freedom hard won by Christ. The darkness, Paul says, had power over us. Maybe a better way to say it is that we were powerless to do anything about the darkness until God himself met our need. We were tied down in the dark and Jesus brought the rescue by shining his light and asking if we wanted to be ransomed. The Greek word here for rescue literally means hero. We needed a hero and he came to us in our helpless state. And because of him and what he has done for us, we are free of the consuming guilt and pain of our past choices and the pain of the choices of other people that have hurt us. We can live in holiness because we're cleansed and joy. We are free to live in the kingdom of light forever. We began talking about grace and peace, which is an outflow of God's love to us. We end talking about the forgiveness of sins, which is also because of God's love to us. These are the hallmarks of life in the kingdom, and we bear these characteristics wherever we go. Please stand with us as we sing.